Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Right, welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Blue, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. A podcast that is brought to you by Ty Law's Trampoline World, with over 30 locations throughout the Ohio Valley in the South where you can jump, leap, pounce, and bounce your way to happiness. It is worth noting that we are not actually brought to you by Ty Law's Trampoline World due to contractual obligations. I am Jared Stormer, mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you wolf in wolf's clothing with the bone structure and poetic speech pattern of a young Edgar Allan Poe. How are you, brother? <laughs> I'm doing well, man. It's been a chaotic Michigan week where the news cycle never sleeps. But on the other side, and ready to talk about it. Yeah, this has been a more chaotic week than like the Lindsay Lohan 2004 to 2006 range. Just very condensed, a lot going on. Uh, we've had to kind of change, uh, shift, be very flexible here with what we're going to talk about. So we're going to get into it here, man. Lots to cover. So let's start with the biggest story of the week. And it's the Zoom call and the cheeseburger heard around the world. NCAA violations potentially hanging over the Michigan program. And not since Winona Ryder stole a few sweaters from a JCPenney and was blackballed from Hollywood for a decade have we seen a more aggressive escalation of minor infractions. Currently, five allegations from the NCAA. Four of the five violations are level two violations, not considered very serious. One of them is considered a level one violation, which could potentially carry with it a two to three year bowl ban. 
The story is ludicrous. It does revolve around a Zoom call and a cheeseburger, and we've had to kind of sift through this thing all week. Give me your thoughts on this absolutely asinine story coming out of Ann Arbor. God, this is so stupid. Like, for, like, full disclosure, I kind of forgot the NCA like, existed because they don't do anything. They don't regulate portals. They don't regulate the NIL. They just kind of sit there, and you get to put NCA championship, uh, NCA tournament, get some good uh, publicity during the March month. Uh, it's just weird, man. It's very weird when you have like open pay for play and all these different things happening throughout the country that need regulation. And now we're going back to something that happened two years ago, two years. So it took them two years to find a burger receipt and history <laughs> of a Zoom call where a former analyst watched a recruit work out. Like this, this is so stupid. Uh, John Bacon has a great quote where the NCA is famous for punishing misdemeanors while letting felonies happen. And this is just like, this is like locking somebody up in jail for jaywalking when like somebody got murdered next door. It's like, yeah, this, this will do. We'll show them streets are clean. Overcooked chicken straight to jail. Burger for a recruit, straight to jail, right away. That's that's what's going on here. It reminds me, I, I do love uh, that you were mentioning that you forgot the NCAA existed, as did I. It's like Germany post-World War II, where we've got a Berlin, you know, Berlin Wall separating these two. I don't know who's running Germany, but it's certainly not the German government. There's all these other competing agencies <laughs> right now that are trying to run things, and the NCA is completely powerless. So to me, it's just them trying to input themselves into a story to be like, hey, look at us. We're still relevant. I totally agree. And the John U. Bacon point is well taken, as most of his points are, that this is what appears to be a misdemeanor while there's felonies, uh, Arch Manning, uh, the McDonald's bags full of cash, allegedly at Tennessee, the uh, $5 million alleged offer to Drake May at North Carolina to leave his program. So I'm thinking Harbaugh probably pissed somebody off at the NCAA, which wouldn't be too out of character for him. The guy's known to be cantankerous, but this just feels like a grudge is being executed against Michigan. And initially you hear it and you laugh it off, but then you kind of read up about it in 2017. University of uh, Virginia was reprimanded for some similar infractions. They were fined $5,000. They had to reduce off-campus contacts and like spring evaluations for the minor misdemeanors. But then there was also a bowl game ban. So like, I don't think it'll get to that bowl game ban. But as soon as I saw that and what could possibly happen, I was like, oh, I take it all back. I see why Jim Harbaugh might want to leave Michigan. This is completely ridiculous. Yeah, he shouldn't have to deal with this. Like, this is just completely outside of his purview. And again, they're just like, what deserves a slap on the wrist? They're trying to put him in jail for it. is just utterly ridiculous, man. And the more you read into the details of it, when we give him a six game ban, like half the season, when what was it? Bill Self had five level one violations at Kansas and was suspended for 10% of the season. It really just feels like a wild witch hardball kind of hunt. And I don't understand it. And I echo his frustrations. Like he didn't see this coming. So maybe that is why he had conflicting commitments to Michigan publicly. And then he got wind of this coming down. And he's just probably like, what am I even doing here? Like, why am I putting up with this? Why am I recruiting like this? And just going through all the ups and downs of college football when I could be in the NFL making $20 million. Literally, because we're hearing that $20 million is what he might get offered by Denver. I mean, they're going all out to try to lure him away. And it's so dumb. Just like you said, like 
how can you be Harbaugh and be like, yeah, let's go back to college where a cheeseburger, the most consequential cheeseburger since Mama Cass didn't chew her burger in 1974. Like we're going to have this upend my potential <laughs> national championship winning season. It's it's beyond dumb. I don't blame him for looking elsewhere. Let's hope that like sensible minds prevail here and whatever comes down on Michigan is just a slap in the wrist because I, I don't know what person looks at what happened and been like, what a competitive advantage for Michigan. I don't know. Like this can't stand to pass. They're buying cheeseburgers for kids. Well, obviously the kid's going to go to Michigan. He's got free protein. I mean, what, what, what is this? I'm so mad. I'm getting worked <laughs> up. Dude, it's the best. I mean, the, the biggest winner in this, though, is the Brown Jug, the restaurant that Harbaugh uh, supposedly took the uh, recruit to on the impromptu visit for the cheeseburger. So shout out to the Brown Jug. I hope business is booming for you right now as you've been in every major publication from one side of the country to the other when discussing this story. But, yeah, I, I just – it's so like, – in one camp, I understand fans' frustration with Harbaugh, like flirting again, like about to leave. But then you see this coming down. And you try to put yourself in his shoes, and you understand like life could be so much better. You could have roster control and just have like no restrictions for like your coaching. Don't have to worry about cheeseburgers, like or anything like that. So it kind of just lends a new perspective to the whole Harbaugh saga. And again, it just makes the NCA look stupid, ridiculous, and useless. It is stupid, ridiculous, and useless. But next time we're in an, in Ann Arbor after burning some calories at Ty Law's Trampoline World, you can better believe we're going to shoot on over to the Brown Jug and satisfy our hunger with a level one violation burger. They need to get that on the menu. Uh, also, because we don't want to get sued, we are not brought to you by Ty Law's Trampoline World. We're just huge fans. So uh, that's all I've got on this absurd Zoom call <laughs> cheeseburger scenario. Any other thoughts on this thing before we happily move on until we get some sort of actual resolution? from the NCA, and then we'll talk about it again. Uh, none at all, man. Gun to your head, though. Is Harbaugh the coach in 2023? Yes. Yes, I think this will be it, though. A gun to my head, there's just too much going on as far as players coming back, which we're about to get into. It's too much smoke for like this being the final run um, and the story can't end with a cheeseburger and then Harbaugh going to coach corny ass Russell Wilson in Denver. Really? Like that's where you want to go. I mean, go to Indianapolis. At least you played there. You got the fourth overall pick. I don't know. It's Denver. I mean, I just came from there. It's not as nice as it seems. It was on fire when I left. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is hilarious. I am, I'm in the same camp. I, I do believe 2023 Harbaugh will be the coach of Michigan, but I believe it's the type of year where you could see a coach in waiting be named, like Sharon Moore. Like, you are the coach in waiting. Like, you'll take it over after I'm gone. This is my, my ride into the sunset, just to have some security and stability moving forward with the program. And again, these excuse me, NFL offers are just too juicy to keep passing up. Like, again, with all the hoops you're jumping through, so close to winning a Super Bowl, but again, you cannot like let this one more year slip through your fingers at Michigan when you finally have the best collection of talent and experienced talent that you've had since you came to Michigan in 2015. And man, like you're so close to getting over the top again. Are you going to leave like right on the verge of yet another playoff appearance? I mean, it should be easier. I'm air quoting easy to get back to the playoffs next year than it was this year, meaning you're going to get another go at this thing. And you didn't have your best coaching performance 
against TCU. Let's just be very frank here. So if I were him, I'd want to come back and prove that I am the coach that took us to a Super Bowl. I am the coach that beat Ohio State back to back, won back to back championships. I'm not the coach that leaves you with this sour taste in your mouth every year in the last game of the season. So he should want to come back too. Um, let's get into some good news about somebody that we know is coming back. Sir Blake Corum, who is basically the second coming of Muhammad or Jesus Christ himself, is coming back to the University of Michigan. He announced on Rich Eisen's show the other day, this is beyond surprising, but as we like to say, joyous news. This, man, this is so fantastic. Like, it, you and I were discussing off-air, like it hasn't washed over us yet, that Blake Corum, like a player that was in Heisman discussions up until his Week 11 injury and arguably could have won the Heisman with two more weeks of health, is coming back to Ann Arbor because, in his words, he has unfinished business to take care of. He couldn't live with himself. He went out like that. Doesn't want the lasting image of his Michigan career to be him leaving with an injury. He wants to put a stamp on this and him coming back is just a seismic level wave of a like return announcement. There's no other player that could have declared coming back that makes a bigger impact on next year. That is far and away the case. He's bringing back his 1,500 yards from scrimming and scrimmage and 19 touchdowns. So you're not going to get anybody on the roster that brings that statistical level of contribution. But what he's bringing from a leadership perspective and physicality perspective and an identity perspective, that's what this team's identity is going to be again for next year. You can go ahead and lock that up if it were. Edwards and Cole Cabana, we had kind of alluded to this in last week's podcast. I don't know that you can have quite the same smash mouth approach. Those are two very shifty, very fast backs. Cole Cabana weighs like 165 pounds. You can't be asking them to take the rigors of a Big Ten schedule when you're rushing it 22 times a game like we were with Corum last year. Well, now Corum comes back and you can do all sorts of fun things with that running back room and he can be your bell cow. Uh, obviously, you know, we want to keep him healthy and make sure that he's there for Ohio State, the Big Ten championship playoff run. So you can kind of use those other guys to supplement him. But this guy's coming back and he's going to be the main part of your offense. He is going to be the engine of this offense once again. Yeah, I think you see a more even split with he and Edwards to try to keep them both as healthy as possible. I think you're going to see the offense opened up more with McCarthy in his second year as a starter. You could just see him build from the Ohio State game on in the last couple, like, you know, save a few growing pains with his pick sixes. But, like, just that triumvirate of offensive weapons, Michigan is one of the few top teams that brings their quarterback back in a conference that actually plays defense, you know, shots at the Pac-12, and also brings back the best running back duo again in college football so no man you you said it best like no player's return carries the same amount of weight as Blake Corm. this is a massive return and just you can see the reaction all over Twitter like it still really hasn't hit because I think the hardball news is lingering but once this hits Blake Corm is back for his senior year at Michigan and this is something we didn't think was even remotely possible back in like October or September it almost reminds me of I'm going to get the years wrong because I was uh, a fetus, essentially, when Miami lost their coach, but brought back 
their entire team. I think it was like the 99 or 2000 Miami team. And they're like, it doesn't matter who our coach is. Like the players got together and we looked at the players on the field. Like it doesn't matter who our coach is. I'm starting to think that way about this Michigan team. Like, yeah, this Harbaugh news is huge. We need to get him back. He got us to the place where we need to be as a program where I have confidence that if it has to be Sharon Moore and we just elevate him and everyone gets a bump up, I feel confident we're going to win 10, 11 games. So that's, that's part a Uh, part B is that Mike Hart or excuse me, Blake Corum has a chance to catch Mike Hart in career touchdowns. Now he's probably not catching him in career rushing yards, but you and I thought that would be impossible (laughs) to catch Mike Hart in anything. Mike Hart has 41 career rushing touchdowns. Blake Corum sitting at 33. So I would say it's likely he catches. He had 19 from scrimmage this year. All he needs is eight next year to uh, catch Mike Hart. And I mean, that puts you at top of the pyramid as far as legend status at Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. And like he has a chance to potentially catch Tyrone Wheatley for fifth all time in Michigan history in rushing yards. The players he would only trail would be Mike Hart, Denard Robinson, Anthony Thomas, and Jamie Morris. I mean, literally just a Mount Rushmore of Michigan greats. So yeah, that's the kind of air he's in. He is in that realm. He's going to be coming back for all kinds of records to just break everything open next year. And the rushing touchdowns, I almost like want to put it in pen. But the more important thing, Jared, for you and I, this is going to make our skins draft so much more fun to start next season having this player available. And to your first point, it was 2000-2001 Miami because they they brought Larry Coker up from offensive coordinator who couldn't coach a lick, but it did not matter because the team was so stacked. It's almost to the point where Harbaugh could leave, you could bring in Brady Hoke, and he couldn't screw this up even in this next season. That is exactly what I was thinking of. Larry Coker, thank you for doing that dive right there. Yes, that's exactly where we're at. And great point about our skins draft. This is going to be fascinating now. Uh, this is the whoever wins the coin toss is going to have quite an advantage because uh, Blake Corum's in for a monster year. And I really want to see him at least at least represent Michigan in New York for the Heisman ceremony. Next year's going to have a lot of firepower. I mean, including the firepower on his own team with JJ McCarthy at the quarterback position. So competition ramps up a little bit next year. I expect a more spirited Heisman contest, but Blake Corum's going to be right there. uh, Should everything go as expected. And with the offensive line, we expect him to be rushing behind man. You just watch out if he stays healthy. We're, we're talking an all timer if we're not already. Uh, let's get into some of the other guys that have made their decisions. Uh, let's go from Blake Corum to the one that uh, I know gets you excited and you want to spend the next 20 to 30 minutes on. Andrew Anthony is transferring to Oklahoma. I give you the floor. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how Michigan's going to recover losing his seven catches for 80 yards this past season. Uh, He was occasionally good at falling on the fumbles in the end zone to get his one touchdown this year. No, man, like this, this does nothing besides just open up a spot for receiver depth. He's probably going to get passed up anyway. He had a full season and he had more gaffes than moments. Like one of his careers, like year standouts was a football hitting him in the face in the end zone. Like the ball was perfectly thrown and just hit him in the face. Like, Everyone is talking about this as some tragic loss. He had one good game, like, and that was it. I mean, he is coasting off this one thing, and it's like the Kyrie Irving 2016 shot. They're coasting off this one moment for all eternity. It's like, guys, he had a full season, 14 games, the flash who he was. 
And he's a three-star prospect for a reason. He just kind of regressed. He really struggles mentally. He doesn't understand the nuance of the position, the depth of route, route distribution, and constantly screws those things up. So, no, this is not a monumental loss by any means. This is just another day. Turn the news story. Flip the page. I knew your love for Andrew Anthony was deep and impassioned, so I wanted to give you a chance there. Uh, we've had guys <laughs> like this. Michigan has had ultra-talented wide receivers that, for whatever reason, don't stick around. You think back to, like, Eddie McDoom and uh, Tariq Black. And who was the other one that was going with McDoom? Um, the name escapes me right now. Kakoa Crawford left too. Kakoa Crawford. Yeah, yeah. So we've had these guys that were talented. And for whatever reason, they don't fit the mold of what Jim Harbaugh wants as a wide receiver. And I don't know this for sure, but it looks to me like it's buy-in with blocking down the field. It's buy-in with doing the little things that you need to do to be a receiver. You can have all the talent in the world. I think Andrell has that. And I think he's going to have some catches at Oklahoma. And I think he's probably going to put up some numbers, certainly more than 80 yards, but he just doesn't fit what they're trying to do at Michigan. He doesn't bring it every play. So I, I, I think you're right. I think you just move on. It's not that big of a loss. We'll find somebody else there. We have other guys that are talented in name. I just kind of like that he was the AA, the Ann Arbor with wearing number one, and he was a bigger receiver that could move. I really wanted this guy to hit. It's a bummer, but you're right. As far as what it actually does for the team, we move on. And let's move on to some people whose departures will actually be felt next year. Uh, let's start with the 2018 class where we lose from that class, Luke Schoonmaker and Ronnie Bell. Luke Schoonmaker, three-star in the 2018 class, leaves with 637 reception yards and seven touchdowns at Michigan. Recently, it was put out that he has a second-round grade for the NFL, and that's pre-combine. We'll see how he does in that, but that is extremely impressive. I thought he would have moved up from that fifth-round range that I heard earlier in the season, but second round for Schoonmaker is outstanding, and the right call to go to the NFL if you're getting that kind of a grade. Yeah, man, good for Scooney. Five years at Michigan, he's the second best tight end recruit of the Harbaugh era, only behind Jake Butt. Uh, should be a second rounder, I think third rounder at the latest. He's 6'6", 250 pounds, soft hands, physical blocker. He brings everything you want. If And if Sean McCune can stick around for this long and have a fruitful career and Zach Dentry, I guarantee you Scooney is going to find a role and will be a nice pickup and could be a spot for the Lions to grab somebody in the middle rounds if he's available. Lions are in need of a tight end, and they do have quite a few picks, especially if they want to move back from that sixth spot. A lot they could do, and Schoonmaker to Detroit is absolutely fascinating. I love where your head's at there for a position of need. Yeah, Schoonmaker became just a fan favorite, really sure hands. A uh, lot of great memories of him both this year and last year. Seems like he came on and came on quickly. Like It was last year we needed him, and then it was like, yeah, this guy's actually the security blanket. It. So you're totally right. I love your point about Sean McEwen. If that guy can stick in uh, the NFL, then uh, Schoonmaker's definitely sticking in the NFL. And this is a position where you're going to miss him. You're definitely going to miss that leadership as well. But talent-wise, we certainly have the horses in the stable to make up for it. Colston Loveland steps in and is going to be tight end number one as a sophomore. But then also the Indiana transfer, A.J. Barner, is going to come in and play You know, starter minutes. We use a lot of tight ends. Expect Deacon, Toynielli, some of the freshmen are going to get in there as well. So it's going to be a, a younger room than we've seen, especially with Eric All being Benedict Arnold. 
but I think we got the horses to make up for this, especially since Loveland is a freaking star in the making. How dare you not say my boy Max Bredesen? We got Max Bredesen coming back too. So a little more depth there than when you first think about it. They're going to bring these guys up. A lot of tight ends to replace with uh, Eric All, Luke Schoonmaker. Uh, I, think Matt, I think Hibner's gone. Uh, Hawningford's gone. So a lot of opportunity here. But also, like Michigan kind of got to prepare for the Schoonie loss because he was so limited late in the season. So it kind of allowed Colston Loveland to play tight end one minutes, Max Bredesen playing tight end to really use more as an H-back, fullback hybrid. It's like Michigan's going to be just fine there. And one thing under Jim Harbaugh and this coaching staff in their tenure, I am never worried about the tight end room. They'll find somebody. No, if we're not defensive end you or defensive line you, which we will discuss here in a minute, uh, we're tight end university. And Jim Harbaugh is like the premier college coach for producing tight ends. Uh, Say that with a bullet. Uh, Other 2018 class member Ronnie Bell was three star, but I'm going to put the biggest air quotes known to human history on this because he was only a three star once he got offered by Michigan. We've talked on this podcast about how those stars work. They're basically about who's offering you so he had almost no offers uh in in high school and then michigan offers he gets bumped up to a three-star that is a generous three-star he finishes with 2200 receiving yards nine touchdowns and a rushing touchdown he was the number one receiver as far as yards this season and was a bit of a security blanket for jj at times didn't have the production we were expecting after the early heroics last year before going out with an injury where it looked like Ronnie Bell was just exploding into the stratosphere as far as talent, but a really, really solid receiver at Michigan, a beloved fan favorite came back from injury, you know, has two rings leaving with two rings, having beat Ohio state twice. This is a guy that I think we will actually miss a little bit next year with no clear number one to replace him. Absolutely. And if anything, we're going to miss his leadership above everything else that he actually did on the field. Yeah, you alluded to his upbringing or just like his discovery. He was a basketball player. Then his senior year, he went out and played football for one year. Balled outrageous. Harbaugh got word from a family member or a family friend. And they came down, saw the tape, and made an offer straight away. He came to Michigan, and he's been the most productive Michigan wide receiver of the Harbaugh era. And one of the most productive in Michigan history, period. He's tied ninth all-time in career receiving yards in Michigan history. And that's not nothing considering he missed potentially his best season last year when we saw the flashes in the in the first game against Western Michigan. So now Ronnie Bell leaves behind a tremendous legacy. Uh, family legacy is not done here. His younger brother is a freshman. Kendrick Bell is coming into Michigan, so we'll see how he carries on the family name. But uh, no, shout out to Ronnie Bell, man. He did more than enough for Michigan, contributed from his freshman year all the way through his senior year, made some huge plays in the TCU game, and can't say enough good things about him. I hope him the best. Wish him the absolute best. Probably no higher than a fifth rounder uh, if he gets drafted at all. But, you know, 2018 was a long time ago. It's time for him to go. As far as replacing him next year, it's pretty clear that it's Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, and then whoever steps up. I'm putting money on Tyler Morris right now. But if it's Darius Clemens, that's outstanding. I'd love a bigger bodied guy. Who do you think takes uh, the third catches now that Bell's, Bell's departing the team? 
I think Morris has to be the front runner right now. I love uh, Carmelo English, the true freshman coming in, but he's got a way to work to get into the rotation. Omarion Walker is another guy to watch as well. Very big, just needs to put on a little bit more weight. I think Tyler Morris is a safe pick, especially with like his rapport and connection already established with J.J. McCarthy from high school. I'm with you, man. That'll be a fascinating one to watch. We'll know more come spring ball. Somebody always pops at the receiver position, and it's usually somebody we're not expecting. So that means it's probably a Marion Walker about to buy all my stock. Uh, Mozzie Smith. Let's move to the 2019 class. He was a four star, one of the bigger gets in that 2019 class. Started slow, the kid from Grand Rapids, but finishes his Michigan career with 88 tackles, six for loss, only a half a sack, which surprised the hell out of me. How did Mozzie Smith not accumulate a a whole sack in his career, but what he did is not ever going to be reflected on the stat sheet. What he did was like, he was just the centrifugal force for this entire defensive line. Everything revolved around him. He was that run stuffer that allowed things on the edges to move the way they did, especially this season. Didn't have his best performance down the stretch against TCU. That's not what we're going to remember him for, at least not here on this podcast. I'm going to remember him as being one of the better defensive tackles tackles that I can remember probably does end up coming below the Maurice Hurst and Ryan Glasgow levels that we thought he would get to this year, but it's no knock on one of the most important pieces of this team and a guy that's going to destroy the NFL combine. We can't remember him for his TCU performance because he didn't show up. So, I mean, that's an easy one to forget about. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, all season we talked about him reaching that level and he just never quite did. He's more on that like Brian Monet level. Like he's in there, like he was very solid at certain things, but he was not great. Like he's, he struggled fighting hands, wasn't as very active or physical with them. That's why he really struggled to get penetration. But what he did, like we called him all season, the catalyst of chaos. Like he just opened up a lot of opportunity for players or around him like he was just really good at taking on multiple people at once being very physical he's going to test off the charts at the combine which could probably bump him up as high as a second or third round pick but off just like what you've seen on the field would you say he's probably more of like a fourth round kind of talent yeah, I was going to say exactly fourth round based on tape alone, but the the combine is going to help out Mozzie Smith a lot. We already know he was on Bruce Feldman's annual uh, freak player award, freak athlete. He's going to move quickly. He's going to, I mean, I don't even know if they have enough time for how long he's going to do the bench press. He's going to be there for about four and a half hours. So he's going to do things that are freakish that are going to move him up. I would feel comfortable taking him in the third based on that. I think he'll actually end up having a better NFL career from than Mohurst because he's a little bit more built for the NFL, but you would have liked to seen a little bit more at Michigan, but does fourth round sound about right for you? It does. And again, you can't knock a kid who got his degree, spent his time at Michigan, you know, had this great last year. So you might as well capitalize on it. So, you know, Mozzie, like, I think the combine is like going to massively help him for how well he's going to test in all areas. And it's going to be interesting to watch how his NFL career develops. Yeah, and I don't know that he would get a ton from coming back because it's likely going to be exactly what you saw this year. The stats aren't going to skyrocket. You kind of know what you're getting with Mozzie Smith. And if you're going to develop him, you know, bring him in and develop him in your NFL program. So wish him the absolute best. Excited to see where he goes. Wouldn't be surprised if it's Baltimore. Uh, Last guy or no, two more guys from the 2019 class. Mike Morris after uh, 
pretty pretty good. I'm not it's it's more than a pretty good. This was a strong strong season for Mike Morris. Once again, much like Mozzie Smith and everyone on the defensive line didn't end the way you want it. Morris in particular had a rough rough outing against TCU, but at times this year looked dominant. Uh not as strong as Chris Wormley, not as fast as Hutchinson, uh not or have the pass rushing arsenal as Hutchinson, but kind of somewhere in between that Chris Wormley and Taco Charlton mold. Uh, I think that this guy's going to be strong against the run at the next level. He finishes with 40 tackles, eight sacks, but 94% of those sacks came this year. So been there for a while, uh, was kind of just a slow developing uh, prospect here at Michigan, but developed into a really nice player. I think he will get drafted because another guy that'll probably perform pretty well at the combine, especially with his measurables. I'm very up in the air with how Mike Morris is going to test because I don't know how quick he is, how fast he is, how strong he is. Uh, really long. I believe he's right, closer to 6'7 than 6'6. Very heavy. So it's going to be really interesting to see what he does to prepare to really take it to the next level because his tape this year was fine. I thought he was the kind of guy that really could have benefited from coming back, having an entirely healthy season, like really just establishing your dominance because although, I mean, I will give it to him that he was banged up still against TCU. I mean, he was just completely wiped out. And I think the biggest thing he battled this year was just inconsistency. Like he would rise up in the big moments, but he just like, really struggled to dominate games like it would just come at certain times here and there very spotty and that kind of inconsistency is something that can be fixed and corrected with another year of just preparing and getting ready so although I think it's like maybe not the best decision this year I'm like you made the decision and I hope him all the best man but I don't think he's going to go any higher than the middle rounds yeah, I'll have to second that. This is kind of like Chris Hinton last year where you're looking at it and you're like, I don't know, man, like you might want to come back for one more year. The uh, seven sacks this season in the Big Ten and then you miss a couple games. That's enough production wise to get you drafted. I said that very early on. But the tape itself, when you look how he wins, he wins with a lot of brute strength. He doesn't have a lot of really dominant moves. And like Hutchinson has great bend. Uche, great bend. Ojabo had great bend. Morris is gigantic and kind of lumbers. I don't know that he's going to be able to get his pad level low enough uh, in the NFL to really rack up sacks. I think that he could have like a Wormley type career where he's really just like an edge setter. And he, you know, he locks up with the tackle and he doesn't give any ground. But as far as him beating tackles one on one, I don't know that he has the speed or the or the arsenal, at least that what we saw this year. So fully agree with you, man. He could have used one more year back, but hopefully he gets drafted. I'm hoping the best for him because it did not work out for Chris Hinton. And I don't know where he's at right now, but I don't think he's on an NFL roster. Um, last guy from 2019. This is my Andrew Anthony, uh, the most frustrating player for me in a long time. And that's DJ Turner, three star out of the 2019 class. Finishes with 69 tackles and three interceptions, one fumble recovery for a touchdown. Had some awesome moments at times. Most of his best moments came last year. This year, he got passed up by Will Johnson, but still was really serviceable. I think he'll, again, test well at the Combine. More, I feel more confident about him testing well at the Combine than I do about Mike Morris because of his speed. And with speed and you know about six foot, 5'11", maybe in size, this is a player that will get drafted in particular because cornerbacks are such a premium at the next level but I don't even really want to get into it like it, it upsets me to talk about DJ Turner like it just bums me out it was just a bummer of a season for what I thought he was going to be 
it's that's the thing. We were victims of our expectations because he should have been so much more. And I think that's why I turned so sour on Andrell because you know I was super high on him in the offseason. And then you saw the product you got. Like, why can't you get this to click? And with Turner, like you you see why he went. Like the interception numbers are what they are, but he had 10 pass breakups this year, which is very good. He'd have games at times and he'd look dominant with good position, but he just lacks the physicality that you want at, out of an NFL corner. Um, I remember a few years ago when uh, Greedy Williams was drafted out of LSU, much, much better in coverage than DJ Turner, but just lacked the physicality. And that has just derailed his career coupled with his injury history. Like you have to be a physical player at the next level. And Turner relies too much on his speed, gambles too many times, doesn't rely on his technique. And again, this is another guy you could have seen really benefit from another year in the system, another year of learning technique, perfecting your craft. But again, he's a guy, he got his degree. So, I mean, shout out to him. But it's like another guy just like Mozzie, like in Mike Morris, where you're going to just be potential middle round draft pick. I don't know what kind of grade that he got. He could have got a higher grade than we're expecting because, like I said, six foot plays the cornerback position in the Big Ten. There's a lot of tape on him. Uh, Ten pass breakups is not nothing. They're usually not against number one wide receivers in man-to-man coverage, and it's they're not it's super impactful pass breakups. I'm trying to say this and be nuanced and but also not just completely dismissive of what he did this year. But like Will Johnson's pass breakups on Marvin Harrison or on Quentin Johnston are just more impactful pass breakups than the ones that DJ Turner logged this year. And he's not less. I mean, he's more physical than Channing Stribling, but he's not as technically sound in coverage and man to man coverage as, say, a David Long. So where does that put him? I mean, I, I've got him at maybe a. I would take him in the fifth or sixth if I took him at all, and that's just because there's only so many cornerbacks. Yeah, that's the thing. Like the biggest thing with Turner was he was such a good tackler last year, and he showed moments this year when he could be a good tackler. But like the lasting image for most of the TCU game was. There's DJ Turner missing a tackle, missing another one. Came up with one late to get Michigan the ball back, but it was just the inconsistency again. And that's the biggest thing I keep coming back to because that's the thing players correct from one year to the next is just becoming consistent because at the NFL level, you have to have that consistency. Like I, I look at other Michigan players like Dax Hill in the NFL, like, you know, is getting on the field rotationally and things like that. Like he was a first round pick. DJ Turner's going to go in the fifth round and battle for a roster spot end up working at an Excalibur or playing in the Rocks XFL. I, I don't understand what kind of grade he got back because like I don't know the one thing, just like Mike Morris, what do you hang your hat on? What is your selling point? Give it to me in a nutshell. And I keep coming up blank. That's a great way to put it and could have benefited from coming back. That would have really shored up the secondary. But maybe he doesn't like the fact that he's getting moved to number two. Maybe that just, you know, it shines a spotlight on some of the deficiencies that he has when Will Johnson gets put on the number one wide receiver every night. But the rebuttal to that would be you come back, Will Johnson's taking all of that attention. He's covering the number one. You're going to get a lot of balls thrown your way. You could have a big season next year. Like just look at Channing Stribling, who was opposite Jordan Lewis that year. I mean, you're, you're going to have a lot of opportunities against number two wide receivers where you should be better. So I agree, probably should have come back, but then I'd have to watch him for one more season. So I'm all right with this. I'm happy to move on and let one of the young guys get in there. Maybe Keon Sabs ready to take a, a step. So uh, 
We also have uh, decisions waiting still on Jamon Green. Uh, other guys that were waiting on decisions for Chris Jenkins, Zach Center, Trevor Keegan, and CJ. We kind of expect CJ back. We wrote him into our picture as far as wide receivers for next year. The other guys, I don't know, especially since Chris Jenkins is apparently getting some really positive feedback from NFL draft circles. Yeah, Jenkins has been wavering recently because the rumors are he got a top 100 NFL grade. But I mean, if there's anything we've learned from recent NFL grades is just like William Goldman said, nobody knows anything. A lot of it is just projection and just flat out guessing at times. Um, I think the like circle, the scuttlebutt would be that Zach Zenter, Trevor Keegan, and CJ are all coming back. I mean, they were all put on the same graphic as Blake Corum for the NIL fund for one more year. I think you can lock those three in. Jamon Green, about 50-50 right now, but a lot are thinking they uh, he and his brother German are coming back because they're just kind of fixtures of Michigan, like, you know, of Ann Arbor. They love it there. Harbaugh loves them. The staff loves them. They bring a lot of good leadership to the room. And Jamon Green, man, might have had his best game in the TCU game, had a beautiful pass breakup at critical moments, really, really was coming on at times. And he's a guy, man, like he has that inconsistency. But if he comes back for another year, he can play himself up into a decent draft pick. You most likely rather have Jamon Green or DJ Turner than whoever pick you know, young cornerback X from the roster just because we've seen him, like you said, great leadership, had a good game against TCU, and has been more than serviceable the last two years. I've never been like, oh, Jamon Green, we got to find somebody better on the roster. I'm usually like, yeah, that, that was pretty solid. And I think that there's still some more room for improvement as well. I don't think he's reached his ceiling. So him coming back and going Will Johnson and Jamon Green out at the boundaries with Mike Sainer still there. I feel great about that. So that's a pretty important one. That one is worth watching, and we will obviously touch on that once we know the deal there. The Chris Jenkins one would be great to get him back because if not, you're moving up one of the young guys there to go next to Mason Graham, whether that's Kenneth Grant or whomever. But Chris Jenkins and Mason Graham, I like the sound of that a lot. But if you're getting a top 100 grade, I understand the inclination to maybe want to move. And the other two guys, lot riding on. We need to at least get one of those two. But if we get both back with Blake Corum, huh, I mean, we, we don't have the time, the day, and I don't have the energy. I need to eat some pasta and drink some Red Bull if we're going to talk about how excited the potential of that offensive line and running attack makes me. Yeah, if Jenkins goes, you still have Rayshon Benny, who had a ton of experience this year if you don't want to rush Kenneth Grant into the rotation next to Mason Graham. So you have some bodies and people to throw in there. Uh, Jamon Green, like the only negatives he had this year were the Keon Coleman passes he gave up. And I would love just to see him get revenge because that was just a bad day on the field, a worse day off the field for Jamon Green. So I would love to see him come back and just rectify that season with like just I don't even know. I don't quantify it as revenge. I don't know what it is, but I just want the best for Jamon Green because he just seems like one of the nicest kids on the team. And brother, if we get both those guards back next year, <laughs> oh boy. It is going yeah. to be awesome. Yeah, we're going to be some kind of unreasonable on this podcast because we're going to have every right to be. I mean, that is basically running behind a, a just a group full of dump trucks with snow plows attached to the front of them doing 80 down a highway. That is going to be plowing some lanes for Corum Edwards and Cabana or whoever else gets in there as the third running back. 
Whew, I shudder to think about it. Uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to look at Aiden Hutchinson's Defensive Rookie of the Year campaign and the fact that Michigan is quite clearly defensive line U. And then we're going to regretfully have to talk about some basketball. So we got all that and more right after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist. And if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. All right, coming back, let's talk basketball. Let's get it out of the way, and then we can wash this disgusting taste out of our mouth with some talk about Aiden Hutchinson. 89-79 win over Penn State. Looked like Michigan had something going here, back-to-back wins. We knew that the Michigan State game was right there on the horizon, along with what's looking to be a very daunting Big Ten schedule now. A lot of mid-records, but a lot of talented teams. So 89-79 over Penn State with one of the more dangerous guards that we're going to see this year, Jalen Pickett, who uh, was 17-7-8 coming into this game. Incredible in the Michigan game, went 9-16 of for 26, 9 rebounds and 4 assists. I bring this up because I still am questioning our guard defense, our guard play just in general. And we were able to stand a really, really potent, scoring punch from Jalen Pickett in this one, but that was because our offense was clicking. So what did you take away from the Penn state game and the fact that we gave up all this to a guard, but it didn't matter. It's seemed more of the song remains the same with this Michigan team this season, like a lot of inconsistency and inability to really put this one away. It's kind of like an amalgamation of the year. Like they get ahead, Penn state would call back, get ahead. Penn state would call back, have some high scoring, but it would be inefficient uh, consistent defensive lapses on the perimeter. But the fact that Michigan was able to get the win and play like that, not just like it felt like the one-off dominant performance against Maryland the game prior, but to get it in this fashion, like I felt like they were really gaining some momentum. And I thought it was going to be a step that, like, all right, we can even grind some of these out, even when we're not just you know stomping somebody on occasion. But it all came back down to earth, man. I think the biggest thing here is the offense goes through Hunter Dickinson, but he's just been wildly inefficient this year. And that has just been such a terrible problem to have when he's also your only primary rebounder. Hunter Dickinson currently seventh in the Big Ten among seven centers in his effective field goal percentage at 57%. That 
is not great when he is the absolute hub of your offense. He's way down the list as far as centers and efficiency. He's like 50 something in the country in efficiency, which you expect just a little bit more out of a guy that's that close to the rim. And we haven't even gone up against the worst centers that we're going to see. Wait till we see Trace Jackson Davis and Zach Eady of Purdue. So I think that his field goal percentage is going to start to drop. So there's just no efficient answers. You're going to let Jet Howard cook. I mean, that's fantastic. I love Jed Howard, but Jed Howard is 18 years old and was just at his prom like six months ago. And you're asking him to go out there and be the lead scorer. So it's it's really, really dicey there. And against Michigan State, that came to fruition where the offense just went cold 19 of 55. If you just aimlessly punted the ball at the basket 55 times, you'd probably have similar results to what we saw in Michigan State. And while the defense was was solid, this supposed offensive team just ground to a halt. It was disgusting to watch. It was bad, man. And it's not like Michigan State's defense was like overwhelming. Like they played like efficient defense, but there were tons of wide open shot, missed opportunities, lack of aggression at times. And it was just very, very up and down, man. The inconsistency, you and I have been harping on this all year. Like Michigan at the top of their game, when you get like the defensive effort against Michigan State coupled with the offensive effort of Maryland. Like, I mean, that is just a deep tournament team waiting to happen. But on the other side, this could be an NIT team that struggles in the first round. Like, there's just such a vast contrast of like their good nights, their bad nights, and everything in between. And it's really hard to pin down like coaching, execution on the players, shooting, I mean, defense. Like, there's just a lot of things that just keep coming up with question marks. So this game was 28-17 at the half, which is not too far off the football score. 17 points at the half. You go 3 of 20 from 3. Only Jet and Hunter made a 3 in this game. So this could just have been shots not going in. That does happen. This would be one of the more extreme examples of that because that is just ghastly to look at. I've actually thrown up thrice and had to stop recording just looking at these stats from this game. Michigan State wasn't dramatically better. They were 21 of 56, but that was enough to win. And just down the stretch, Michigan's inability to get good looks at the basket, Hunter Dickinson's seemingly passiveness uh, late in the game, and I mean, the centers of Michigan State should not be the ones that are jamming him up to where he can't get anything. So I don't know, man. There's been a lot of murmuring on Twitter, which is in a real place, that Jawan Howard should be on the hot seat. You and I firmly disagree with that. That's ridiculous. This was the Big Ten Coach of the Year, the uh, NCAA Coach of the Year not too long ago. Took us to an Elite Eight, Sweet 16 last year. Like, let's all pump the brakes on that. But there maybe are some cracks in the armor starting to show here. So if this is all on coaching, I want someone that's saying he's a bad coach to tell me, how is that playing out when the players shoot 19 of 55? How is that on coaching? And I am not a coach. I do not pretend to know. I know even less about basketball than I do about football. So I don't think that it's on coaching when you go 19 to 55, but how about maybe player development? Could we maybe talk about that for a second and scrutinize with air quotes, the lack of player development up to this point? 
Yeah, that's a good thing to point out because it's hard to think of many Michigan players making a just like dramatic rise that uh, Juwan Howard recruited and they got drastically better throughout their tenure underneath him. Like I, one thing people online were pointing out was like how long it takes to get into offensive sets. But like you, I'm not a basketball X's and O's guy. I'm like football. I don't grind this kind of tape in my spare time with Al Borges' sweet, sweet voice in my ear. So w- with basketball – it's like, where does it lie between coaching and execution? The player development is the most at point in questioning Jawan Howard because it's like, it's hard to figure it out. Like Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate's exit last year, like not thanking Howard, the university, all that left a weird taste in my mouth. Like the way they quote unquote developed uh, Jed Howard right now, like the way he is playing, like the potential he has was like, is he going to elevate? Like we see Kobe Bufkin like improving, but it's really more just from like an effort and physicality standpoint from his off season weightlifting program. It's really hard to find somebody that's like, Hey, he was a bad shooter. Now he's a better one. Like they like, glaring example of the opposite is Terrence Williams this year. My boy, Terry two sticks has been drastically underwhelming. and is not doing anything particularly well on the basketball court. Terry two sticks has regressed with a capital R it's ugly. I want to leave some meat on the bone for this. We're going to have our boy Kellen Voss on next week. We're going to get deep in on basketball. So we'll talk about it. Uh, last thing I'll say is about those, uh, critics of Jawan Howard, Jeff Van Gundy went on Ryan Rosillo podcast And while Jeff Van Gundy is about as much fun as a mop, he has some excellent insights into just basketball life. And he's a huge football fan. And he talks about how he never once will ever criticize what a coach is doing, because as a coach, he knows that unless you have your Ph.D. in something, you don't know anything about anything as much as these coaches know about their subject matter. And that is likely true of Juwan Howard. So I'm not going to be critical of the things that I don't understand. But we will try to look at this and say it looks like maybe X, Y or Z is wrong. So we'll do our best. But also noting that, like, I'm not really willing to entertain Juwan Howard as a bad coach discussions at this point. Are you? No, not bad coach. I could definitely see like, yeah, there's call. There's definitely calls for concern. Like you can point out just like the team underperforming, being inconsistent, getting up for certain games, effort in certain games, like the Central Michigan loss. Like you could easily point to those, but just don't look at it and be like, well, this set, you know, the center should be rotating here. Too. It's like, you, no, please stop. Like very, 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 very few people can understand that level of nuance within the basketball scheme, but one thing everybody does understand, I think it's the biggest alarm that's going off all around the, the world of Michigan, is wins and losses. And those losses are starting to pile up for Juwan. Yes, it is certainly looking dire for this season. And we thought that it was going to be a lot better. The Jalen the win loss does not explain everything that we have seen up to this point. Let's take a quick break and listen to a commercial about trimming your balls. Support for this episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The holidays are here, and that likely means a lot of merriment and cheer, but also a lot of discomfort. Canceled flights, sleeping on an airport floor with your own disheveled wardrobe as a pillow, mother-in-law staying over for an extra three days so they can critique the layout of your kitchen, a fun tete-a-tete with your racist uncle who thinks that the cranberry sauce has microchips in it that will track your location. No matter what it is, you need to be comfortable where you can control it. And that's why the Manscaped Platinum Package is here for you. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. Platinum Package has each product from the best-selling performance package, 
plus the ultra premium body wash and ultra premium two-in-one shampoo plus conditioner and ultra premium deodorant. The Lawnmower 4.0 Body Trimmer and the Weed Whacker Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin-safe technology to protect your delicate parts. Plus, both are waterproof, so there's no issue clearing the snow out of your driveway, as we like to say. There's also a 4000K LED light, so you can light the way, much like Rudolph. Now that you've groomed, it's time to make sure you don't smell like an actual reindeer with the Platinum Package shower products. All of Manscaped shower gear is sulfate-free, vegan, and made to have your skin feeling hydrated and smelling fresh. Smelling good doesn't stop at the shower. The Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver can have you smelling fresh all day long. Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And for this perfect stocking stuffer, add in the brand new Body Buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and a lot cleaner than that old loofah. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code MNB20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com using the code MNB20. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. All right, coming back, let's talk about some football here to just wash that taste out of my mouth. I really am excited to get into off-season football content. I love it because we can just talk about whatever we want. There's no agenda. And that's where we thrive is when things are a little bit loose and free, much like my sex life. Let's uh, let's start here with Aiden Hutchinson <laughs> and his defensive rookie of the year campaign. Now, it's unlikely he's going to win it because a person named Sauce Gardner exists and somehow that name isn't dope enough for how good he is on the field. But I don't think that this should be as much of a runaway as they're saying it is. Gardner's like minus 800 right now to win the award with Hutchinson coming in a distant second. But I just don't think it's that big of a gap for how impactful Aiden Hutchinson was on a Lions team that came just short of missing the playoffs. Absolutely not. It should be a much closer race. And I think the one thing that really would have pushed Hutch over the top was if that game on Sunday night was for the playoffs and he had a two-sack game in the biggest moment for the Lions this year and pushed them into the playoffs. He's the only other person in history to have an interception and a sack on Aaron Rodgers. The other person's Jared Allen. So Sauce Gardner leads the NFL in forced incompletions right now at 19. And he leads all cornerbacks with at least 350 snaps this year. He's third overall. So that's really freaking good. That makes him essentially one of the best three cornerbacks in the league. But he doesn't really have the stats to back it up. Now, as seasoned football aficionados, we understand that not having stats as a cornerback is actually a good thing because that means nobody is stupid enough to try you. But are we going to... Are we going to then take away the fact that Hutchinson just went for nine and a half sacks and three interceptions? He was dominant. And according to Seth Walter, Hutchinson was getting double teamed at the second highest rate in the NFL behind only Miles Garrett. That double team stat is absurd. Like you could notice it in the Green Bay game, though. Like even when it, like one on one with Bakhtiari, it wouldn't even be one on one. They'd bring an H back or a tight end or somebody just to give him a little chip. And I thought that was very telling of how impactful he was this season. 
So no, man, I, I, I love the case you're building here. I think it should be a much closer race because I remember, um, I think it was in the mid to late, like, like early aughts with Namdi Asamoah, the corner out of the Oakland Raiders. And he wasn't tested for a large portion of the time. People would stay away from him. And he went to Philadelphia and it was a different system and teams started challenging him. And then it was over. The mystique was gone. Like it had been solved. Everything, the veil had been lifted on it and you could like pick it apart now. Things were different. So you could find those holes in there. Like I'm not saying Sauce Gardner is going to be that, but I do like the fact that Hutch has the production that you can see on paper and with your eyes. Tied for the team lead in interceptions with three. He and James Houston, fellow rookie, first pair of rookie teammates to each record at least seven sacks in a season since the... Sacks became an official stat. They broke the NFL record for most sacks by a rookie class. This is unreal work by the Detroit Lions here in drafting. And Aiden Hutchinson, I mean, you're not telling us anything we didn't already know. We're not telling you anything you didn't already know. We were high on Hutchinson and high on Hutchinson going to the Detroit Lions for the, exactly this reason. It played out exactly how we thought we would. A culture guy, a guy that Dan Campbell's going to love, that goes in there and works his ass off. His season stats, I said he could be a 10-sack-a-year guy. I was like, that's totally reasonable. He came up with nine and a half. We nailed this, and I'm happy to take a victory lap on it because I'm a Lions fan, and this brought me an immense amount of joy this year to watch Aiden Hutchinson and the Honolulu Blue really turn this thing around. And this defense was much maligned and just got better and better and better. And they're going to be really good next year with the draft picks that they have. So I'm just bullish on this team. I'm bullish bullish on Hutchinson being there. And this dude could just blow away all the other Michigan edge rushers in the NFL, which we're going to talk about in a second. As Michigan fans already know, Hutch has more career sacks than former Ohio State Buckeye Chase Young. But if you look at the Georgia class from last year, if you combine Trayvon Walker, Devontae Wyatt, Quay Walker, N'Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis, and Lewis Sign all together, they have five and a half sacks. Hutch has nine and a half. They have one interception. Hutch has three. They have two total takeaways. Hutch has five. And that helps me sleep at night. Quay Walker does have one hit on a training staff member, though. So he's got Hutchinson and hits on the medical staff. He's got two hits on staff members, though. Yep, two hits on staff members. So Hutch has got to get those numbers up. Yeah, man, it's uh, pretty insane what Hutchinson was able to do on a bad defense where he was double teamed, like we said, as much as he was. So what happens when other guys get going, if they bring in a Brian Brise or if they get another edge rusher to really compliment him, James Houston still just getting going. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for this guy, man. I'm so excited to keep watching him. And that brings us to our next point, and that is the Wolverine depth in the NFL, in particular on the defensive line makes my article that I wrote a few months ago for Maze and Brew, what a great website, go check it out, about Michigan being defensive line university, irrefutable. It has come to that point now. And I was already there, but last week probably put it over the edge. David Ojabo coming back for the Ravens, took him a little bit to get going, but he had a strip sack, extremely fitting for his first sack for the Ravens. So you can go ahead and add him to another guy that's going to be unleashed upon NFL offensive lines right now. So that brings the list of Michigan impactful pass rushers in the league right now to David Ojabo, Aiden Hutchinson, Rashawn Gary, Josh Uche, Brandon Graham, and Quiddy Pay, all of them registering at least six sacks this season. 
Yeah, and I think one of the most important points that you're making about all of those names you just listed is all of them are from recent memory. Like this is like Quiddy Pay under Harbaugh. I mean, played through 2019, 2020, played through 2020. I mean, I try to blank that year out from my memory, but it did happen. Like Josh Uche playing as a rotational player in Don Brown's defense. Rashawn Gary finally finding the proper footing and was dominant at times until his injury this season. We talked about Hutch and then Brandon Graham. Just the man does not slow down having one of the best seasons of his career and taking that very revered but rare, you know, 12th year leap in production. So BG has been outstanding for the Eagles and could be on his way to bringing home his second Super Bowl. Very well could also should be considered as a Hall of Famer. 70 sacks for Brandon Graham, as you mentioned, having his best year in his 12th year. Just an absolute stalwart for that Eagles team. And uh, since the Lions aren't in it, why not? I'll pull for BG there. But let's go through some of this. Aiden Hutchinson, rookie season, 48 tackles, nine and a half sacks, three interceptions. I got him listed first because as great as Brandon Graham's 11 sacks and two forced fumbles are to do it as a rookie, that's being double team the second most in the NFL I think I give the uh, the bell of the ball here to Hutchinson in his season what do you think you've got the stats in front of you here no, I do as well. Just because of the impact he had uh, until Houston emerged late in the season, he was the only primary edge rusher in an unproven defense. He didn't have the benefit of having Fletcher Cox in the middle of his defense sucking up double teams all the time. So he had to do a lot of his work on his own. I'm not diminishing BG season by any means or like even comparing the players, just comparing the stats here. But what Hutchinson did, especially as a rookie, is just unbelievable. But I think one of the things that really just aided his development was going up against Panay Sewell. Day in and day yeah. out in practice, let iron sharpen iron. And I think that really helped him take that really extra developmental step so fast. That's a great point about that. Uh, the next tier of guys here, we mentioned Brandon Graham with 11 sacks, two forced fumbles, 11 sacks, the best mark of his career. How about Josh Uche coming on like an absolute freight train? 11 and a half sacks, two forced fumbles really came on after about week five or six. So, I mean, next year, this guy could be unleashed. Uh, I'll give him the nod at second best season just for how he ascended. And they were breaking down some of his tape. I apologize for not having the uh, Twitter account that broke it down. The like how low he gets on his bends is as low as anybody that I've seen in the NFL in a long time. I mean, he is getting down. This guy would probably be insane at a limbo contest. Uche just ultra athletic, ultra fast. He's only getting better. And uh, the Patriots got an absolute steal with him. We thought it was going to be Winovich for them. Winovich came on quick, but burned out a little bit while Uche just getting going now. And there's a thing to keep in mind with Josh Uche. He only has one more year under contract with the Patriots, and Belichick is notorious for not paying edge rushers. So he could be one of the premier guys to hit the market at the end of next season and look for somebody to pick him up to add a missing piece to really just elevate their pass rush. Yeah, he's going to be a piece, whether for New England or somebody else, like really excited about what Josh Uche could be. Uh, the next tier of guys is going to be Rashawn Gary and Quiddy Pay. Rashawn Gary only played nine games, but had six sacks, a forced fumble. He's one of the better players on that Green Bay defensive line. But Quiddy Pay, 45 tackles and six sacks for him for a really bad Indianapolis Colts team that I think just needs to get a little bit more talent around him. But both of those guys, Gary in particular, really important to their defense and ascending players, both of them getting better. 
Yeah, I think that helped Rashawn Gary a lot was playing with Zadarius Smith when he first got into the NFL and learning the ropes from one of the best in the business before he left for Minnesota. I think that really helped him. You saw him just get comfortable, confident. It's like the game finally clicked for Rashawn Gary. Like it all made sense mentally because he's always had the physical traits. And with Quiddy Pay, I love seeing that production despite how bad the team was. Like there are a lot of good pieces on that team, but just together, like things kept falling apart. Injury, the quarterback was just a black hole position for that franchise this year. So you hope they can figure it out around him because you don't want to see a career wasted. Like we could see Nico Collins wasted with the Texans. Yeah, I mean, they're about to get a quarterback, I would imagine. So hopefully better days are in store for Nico Collins. So known degenerate and scumbag Nick Bosa is leading the country at 18 and a half sacks. Behind him, Miles Garrett, Hassan Reddick, Chris Jones, Matthew Judon, Highsmith, Micah Parsons, Watt, Max Crosby, Brian Burns. No school is represented twice there. And then you look at Uche, Graham, Hutchinson, all within a few spots of the top 10, all within the top 25. Gary and Pay, just a little bit outside of the top 25. Michigan, the only school with three people represented in the top 25 in sacks right now. Only other teams that are mentioned twice are Alabama with Quinnen Williams and Deron Payne and Florida State with Brian Burns and Josh Sweat. So based on my very quick math that I did uh, while I was sitting on the toilet earlier, Michigan is without a doubt confirmed still defensive line U. I love this. I love all the research you put in because you did a majority of this for an awesome uh, article series you wrote over the summer, breaking this down and really building the case. And I think one of the underlying things here too, is you and I talked about this offline was the state of Michigan being well represented because outside of just UM, Max Crosby from Eastern Michigan and Matthew Judon from Grand Valley State. Absolutely loaded. Yeah. So beyond the University of Michigan being defensive line university, the state of Michigan is producing the best defensive linemen on the planet right now. So uh, probably that contaminated water that we've all been drinking for years that they haven't got around to fixing. So thanks for that. But nonetheless, like it's pretty clear (laughs) that what we got going on right here is very special and it makes the NFL product more enjoyable, man. When I can tune into just any random game and I'll be like, oh, sweet. I get to watch uh, Rashawn Gary or those there's Josh Uche doing stuff or Mike Onwenu's out there. It's it's been great, man, because there were some lean years with Wolverines in the NFL and got to get a few more skill position guys out there need uh, a quarterback. So it'll be nice that JJ will be going in right as Tom Brady's exiting, but need a few skill position guys to watch other than DPJ and Collins. Yeah, absolutely. You really hope like even defensively that Dax Hill can emerge like as like a premier safety in the NFL. It'd be nice to have like somebody in the secondary to fill that void left by Charles Woodson because David Long has been okay at times. Ambry Thomas has had some really shining moments for the 49ers. Huge interception last year against the Rams to put them in the playoffs, but not that star you want yet. So like you said, Brady's on his way out, so we need the next star to take over to have Michigan well represented in the, the, the sexier skill position of the NFL. Now, one problem for Michigan is I don't know that we're going to have great submittals to the defensive line this year. We already went through this. Mozzie Smith and Mike Morris are both going to go. Chris Jenkins could go. Of those three, which one do you think is going to have the most impactful career in the NFL? 
I think it's going to be Mozzie Smith right now. If they, if they all go this year, I'm going to say Mozzie Smith because he does one thing really well already. Like he's able to take on the double teams. He's good at stopping the run. I don't know what Mike Morris's thing is, and I don't know what Chris Jenkins' thing is either. Chris Jenkins could develop, especially with another year, and become that guy, but got really strong over the offseason. Love to see him get a little more explosive as a pass rusher. He's flashed, but he could, de- he could use some more time to develop. But Mozzie's ability to just take up so much attention and serve as a gravitational force on the defensive line is a trait that you can't undervalue. While I think he'll be a middle pick, I do think he can end up being productive because of that trait. Also wouldn't surprise me if he's one of those guys that's better as a pro than he was in college. You just see that every now and again, and I have nothing that I'm basing that on, but extremely strong moves very well. Get him into an NFL program. They might have different ways of using him than what Harbaugh was using him as. And like he did change defensive coordinators a couple times. So maybe he goes to a place, gets settled in with one defensive coordinator. They find a way to use him to maximize him. I could see him having a productive career. I agree. The other part is I just don't know about those other guys. So I don't know that we're going to be getting a ton of sacks added to that sack list that we just went through a little bit ago with these guys. But let's open that up to the rest of the roster. Which defensive lineman on the roster do you think is going to have the best NFL career? I think it's going to be a Yabi Yoki because I think after a year in this weightlifting program, this off season, I think he is going to explode next season, have a big year. I don't know if it's going to be a Hutchinson Ojabo type of year, but I think it's going to be a much better year, especially a full year with Mike Elston coaching him up. And just the traits, man, even if he's a third down pass rushing specialist, he has some freaky, freaky athleticism and skill we've already seen glimpses of. And you look at the spin move he put on, was it Paris Johnson, Ohio State's top rated tackle in the NFL draft, just left him in the dust. Like he didn't know who or what he was. So those flashes, what I think he can do with another year of development makes me think he's going to be a very productive NFL player. That's a great pick. It's a safe pick. I was going to take the moonshot and go with Derek Moore here, who I'm extremely high on, and that's only going to increase over the offseason. But how about Mason Graham here? Let's go on the interior here. What's the difference between Mason Graham and Brian Brzee's freshman season? Can someone explain it to me? Like, why was Brian Brzee being talked about as this generational once in a lifetime prospect? Yes, he was a five star coming in, but Mason Graham showed that he was way under recruited. So let's take ratings out of this and what we thought before they got on college onto a college campus, excuse me, look at what Mason Graham is right now. And he is on track to be every bit as good as Brian Brzee is at Clemson. And they're expecting him to go to the lions with the six overall pick. So whether that means he'll have the production of say an Ayabi Oki, a Derek Moore, uh, somebody like that who could down the road really become a sack specialist. I think Mason Graham is tracking to be an absolute stud in the NFL. Yeah, Mason Graham's already miles ahead of where Mozzie Smith was as a freshman. I mean, Mason Graham is like, that's a great pick because it's a nice long-term projection because, again, we saw flashes, saw the wrestling background. He has the tenacity. And when you talk to or you hear defensive players talk about him, he just got it right away. Like he understood college football, understood what he needed to do, uses his hands very well. I think he did the best job of all the interior linemen with his hands. I mean, maybe that's the wrestling background. Maybe that's prior coaching. But no, I I love that pick because I think the – his ceiling is so high because of what he already knows, and he's only going to get better. 
I'm totally with you, man. So Defensive Line University is Michigan. My article argued that if you opened it up to just Lineman University and you bring the offensive line into this, that Michigan has an even stronger case. But you brought up a point, and we're going to save this because this is for a different podcast, but Michigan really doesn't have the homegrown guys that we're putting in kind of like a Georgia does to the NFL draft where you would expect somebody on the, especially on the edges, one of these Brian Hayes to hit and be a high draft pick. And I'm not really seeing anybody outside of the transfers that looks like they're going to be a high draft pick on this offensive line. Maybe Zinter, if he decides to go. It's I, even Zenter, man, like he would just be either he's not going to miss an assignment or he's going to miss 10 in a game. Like you could see it just the the erratic play this past season probably has the most talent of anybody there. But you just don't see that dominance of like Michigan in like recent historic memory. Like you look at like the Jake Longs, the Taylor Luans, players like that, where it was just like day in and day out, like high level production from like a sophomore year through a senior year. Like you don't see that right now. And we're going to get into it later on, but maybe that's why Michigan's running into trouble in some of these higher end games late in the season. Yeah. And I mean, obviously we know that Cesar Ruiz was a first round draft pick and on got drafted and stuff, but we're just talking about the, the guys like, Taylor Lewan and Jake Long, where everybody was talking about them as like, hey, this guy doesn't lose, can't miss. He is the rock that they build their offense around. There's not quite that, particularly at the tackle position, but that'll be something that we explore. I think there's enough meat on that bone for its entire podcast, but uh, also probably going to get more in detail about where we think some of these guys are going to go. The NFL draft, we always do our NFL drafts, starting to get into the offseason stuff. It's uh, the switch to basketball is coming, but I keep finding myself just uh, scouring and scrounging for football content with the reluctance to move into basketball just because of the product. But uh, we're going to cover it all, man. I'm excited for it, man. The basketball turn is always a reluctant one because I mean, football the last two seasons has ended prematurely, but we'll take it in stride. We're going to keep covering football because that news never sleeps, especially when Jim Harbaugh is your head coach. So looking forward to taking that in stride and talking hockey as they pick up the season again with Ohio State this Friday. Yeah, looking forward to that as well, especially since football is officially over. Did you watch any of, uh, they called it a game, apparently, Georgia versus TCU for the Natty last night? I, uh, my girlfriend wanted to watch the game. So we watched the first half and then, uh, 38, seven thought it was a good time to check out, uh, watch some reruns, the 30 rock ventured back in. And then it was 51 to seven. And then I checked on my phone as I was brushing my teeth and I saw 65 to seven. I am very happy to not have to bear witness to all four hours of that. Yeah, that's a rough go for Herb Street and Reese Davis trying to make that entertaining. I did not watch. I turned off about the same time you did. I did bet uh, what little money I had left in my FanDuel account that wasn't robbed of me in the TCU game on Georgia to cover. So thanks for TCU uh, getting me back in kind, I guess. But uh, I'm just glad that Michigan didn't have to get beat like that. Not that I think that we would have. And uh, at least we get to hang a banner. Like if you're TCU, you're like great season, but you have the most embarrassing loss probably that we'll ever see. And you don't even get to hang a banner at the end of this. So I'd rather it ended the way it ended for us personally. It was the worst loss in bowl game history. Period. (laughs) 
Yeah, so I'm glad we're not on the other side of that. That is a rough badge to have to wear. Like I said, that would not have happened to us. It would have been a much closer game. Anyone you threw out there would have been a much closer game. But that one just stings, man, because we really let one get away with TCU. And we uh, we have some theories on that. We're going to break that down in a separate podcast. And I am excited for all this offseason content, excited to get back into hockey a little bit, as you mentioned. And uh, basketball, I'm going to just say it. We need to be the optimist that we always are here. Basketball is going to tick up. Kobe Bufkin's going to start getting into a stride. Uh, Doug McDaniel is going to learn how to facilitate an offense. Terrence William will remember the game of basketball. It's all coming. Terrence Williams is going to track down the monsters that stole his talent. He's going to come back and put up eight and seven again. I can't wait. I can't wait, brother. We'll be here for all of it, but that's going to do it for us here on out of the blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple music, or wherever you can follow us on Twitter at maze and brew. You can follow us on Twitter at JStorm three Oh three at UM Andrew B. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is out of the blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go for